Hey, thanks for listening to the Arizona Equals Conversation. I'm Gene Woodbury. I'm the Policy and Communications Director at Equality Arizona and the host of this podcast. Each week on the show, I sit down and talk with an LGBTQ person living in Arizona. With each interview, I try to capture a picture of my guest as a person at the center of a network of relationships. For today's guest, Vanessa, part of her network is Equality Arizona. She's one of our most active volunteers, and it's really been a joy to work with her. She's a person who's always searching, who questions the conclusions that are presented to her, and who has a deep motivation to make a difference and to help others. If you'd like to join our team of volunteers, just visit equalityarizona.org volunteer. If you're listening to this episode on the date of its release, it's September 14th, which means there's just under a month until early voting begins in Arizona, and a little bit less than two months until Election Day. At Equality Arizona, this is one of our busiest times of the year, and we could really use your support. But for now, I'll let Vanessa introduce herself and get the conversation started. Vanessa, I go by Vanessa Marie um, on many online spaces. I am a YA fantasy um, writer, uh, fantasy paranormal and horror writer, and book publisher. Um, And my pronouns are she, her, and I am excited for this interview today. Thanks. Well, thanks for being on the show with me today. We met, I think, first time at one of the Spectrum Academy events, mm-hmm. which was a blast. I think that was actually maybe the first Spectrum Academy event we did. And so I wanted to get a sense of, you know, how did you find out about that event? And what's your kind of experience finding community spaces in Arizona? I think I was just, at the time, looking for... Um, looking for different uh things to get involved with um with the whole Roe v. Wade being overturned and everything yeah. and wanting to get more uh, more into learning about politics and and kind of getting involved in different organizations never been much of a political person before Mm. but as the years have been going by and things just seem to get worse and worse and worse I'm like okay I I should probably try to you know do something to like try to get my voice heard or, you know, do something to work on making a change. And so I was looking for, um, I think I was looking for events about the whole Roe v. Wade um, Mm -hmm. situation. And I think that's how I 
found out about Equality Arizona was through that event with ACLU because ACLU, I know, had different things going on um, that I was looking through and I signed up for a few different things they were doing. And I showed up for the town hall and heard about Equality Arizona and the Spectrum Academy. And I think that's how. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I remember just after the Dobbs decision came out, there was an explosion of people looking for a way to make a difference, Mm -hmm. right? There were a lot of rallies. There were a lot of people volunteering for the citizen initiative for a period of time. And I, I think for a lot of people, that was the moment where they were like, oh, yeah, this is this is bad, and I have to do something about it. You were saying that for you, it's been kind of like a multi-year process of just like, oh, yeah, I got to, I, I have to make my own change in the world, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm still, I've still been trying to figure out how exactly I want to go about doing that um that's something i've still been working on and talking about with um with my therapist because i'm i uh also have adhd so i tend to jump around into different things depending on my interests at the moment and my passions at the moment um and so i uh I've always been um, a writer. I've always loved to write, um, Mm -hmm. and I've always loved to tell stories and write stories. And so I have my own um, book publishing company uh, that I self-published through, and I knew that was going to be one of the ways I wanted to kind of make a difference would be through books and stories and writing uh, my stories. But um, as things kept progressing, I would be telling my therapist, but I feel like I need to do something more, something like Mm. bigger, but I wasn't sure what. Because if, you know, if you know writers and stories, (laughs) it can take a long time just to get one uh, story, one book, uh, completed and done and out and um, I was like I want something that I can you know see that progress faster oh yeah I know that <laughs> makes a lot of sense to me yeah and so um, that was something I was telling her like I don't know how to get involved other you know besides writing books and stuff I'm not sure where to start, um, so just, you know, kind of got online and started doing some research and trying to find organizations. That's great. With your writing and publishing, uh, how did you get into that work, and how long have you been doing that? With writing, I've always loved writing since I was a kid, so... I've been writing stories since I was a kid. Um, But as far as actually doing it seriously as work and publishing, that started a couple years ago, actually. So I started my publishing company 
in 2020, summer of 2020, in the middle of all the pandemic. Yeah. Was that connected? Like, here's the pandemic, here's what I'm going to do? Or just a coincidence? Um, No, it was, I think, more just, you know, I have, um, I, at this moment in time, trying to figure out what I want to do next, like, where do, um, where do I want to focus next? And so, you know, because I was, before, I was a counselor, substance abuse counselor, um, for a few years, and then left that field in 2018, um, partly due to health reasons, and then also just wanting um, a change. That's the ADHD part, which I didn't realize until I got my diagnosis. But um, yeah, that one in the newness and change. Well, and I can imagine working in substance abuse counseling that over a long period of time, there could be, you know, an effect, like a kind of taxing effect at yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was also getting more sick quite a bit, um, mainly because I don't tend to listen to my body when it says to take a break and uh, rest. Yeah. And so I tried to end up doing more than I should. Um, so, yeah, that's why it was partly for health reasons as well. But after I left, that was in 2018, and then I tried to do some different freelance uh, work for a while, um, doing, like, some copywriting and website copy. And then um, I had a mentor at that time that asked, you know, you're so passionate about the publishing and the books, why don't you just do that? And... um, took me a little bit of time but I that was kind of the push that made me go okay I'm I'm just gonna go for it I'm gonna do it and uh that's when I started the publishing in 2018 or 2020 I mean um I started the publishing company officially did the LLC and everything that's so cool I think independent publishing can look like a lot of different things, right? Because mm-hmm. like you were saying before, like making your voice heard is really important to you in terms of making a difference in the world. And I think a lot of people approach independent publishing that way, right? They're marginalized from the publishing industry, mm-hmm. the mainstream publishing industry in one way or another, and they want to create their own way of doing it, not just their own publishing house, but they have an idea of how to do the work that's different because mm-hmm. of the experience they've had. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to learn a little bit about, well, first of all, what's the name of your publishing company? And then for you running it, you know, what's the day-to-day? How do you make things happen? Um, well, the name of it right now is Hananiah Publishing, but it will, I am uh, going to be rebranding and changing the name once I figure out a, oh, okay. new, a new name that I want. Um, because the name, uh, 
that I came up with Hannah and I publishing, that was back when I was still a Christian. And so um, Hananiah means God will provide. And um, I've since left Christianity. So yeah, I want to rebrand it eventually. Um, So in terms of the day-to-day, like right now, my publishing company is just uh, I just publish my books, um, so I haven't uh, published other authors yet. Okay. So there's not too much in terms of the day-to-day what needs to be done. However, I am working on a project uh, which... I don't want to say too much because it's still in the initial beginning stages. But I am working on a project to um, do an anthology uh, book with other authors as well. Um, Other queer authors and queer voices. And so, um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out the planning for that and how to go about um, putting that together. I do have a couple other writer friends that um, are interested in helping me with this. So that's what I'm going to be working on. And hopefully I'd like to have that anthology come out, not next year, but probably the year after during Pride Month. Oh, that's great. That's a, I mean, that's a fast turnaround. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. When you approach a big project like an anthology or rebranding, which I imagine also has probably in both cases a really personal element, where do you start from like a creativity standpoint? I'm going to do this really big creative project. How do you plan that out? Or what what's your approach with that kind of thing? Yeah, um... <clears throat> So with that, I usually what I do, um, especially for like something like this anthology project, um, something new I haven't done before. So the first thing for me is always research, (laughs) getting as much research as possible, Um, talking to others. I've actually have a friend online who... um, has a publishing company herself, independent oh, cool. publishing company, and she's done anthologies with other authors. So I kind of uh, picked her brain and chatted with her on, like, you know, what to expect, like, what kind of turnaround, how yeah. uh, to go about doing certain things. And so, um, first step for me is always just gathering information and learning what needs to be done to actually get get it done yeah and you mentioned with the anthology working with a couple other writers and that it's going to be i think you said maybe like a queer Mm -hmm. anthology Mm -hmm. so it sounds like for you having people that you can reach out to and work with and Mm -hmm. learn from is a big part of it and that in a lot of cases that's other queer people Mm -hmm. how have you built those networks over time um 
right now they have been mostly built online in the online space um, because the uh, so a little bit about my story my journey um, I did not uh, come to terms or accept my queerness until after I left uh, Christianity. So I left Christianity towards the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, and um, didn't come to terms with the fact that I'm bisexual until about spring, early summer that year, 2021. So just last year. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was still during the pandemic when most things were not open yet. So a lot of the uh, networks and connections that I had to make were through the online space. So I'm hoping to start making more connections in person and locally. Um, I would love to do that. But so far, most of them, yeah, are yeah. online. What are some of the venues online? Was it like Zoom events or Discord or? Um, different uh, different uh, groups, like a Facebook group, Discord, when I had started having doubts and was uh, deconstructing from my Christian faith, I uh, found an organization called Recovering from Religion, mm. and they're an amazing organization that helped a lot. And so, you know, they have an online community as well, um, and, you know, weekly hangout groups and support groups every month so i was attending those groups and chatting with others online um and then started on um getting into facebook groups um for uh, lgbtq in arizona so kind of just through those those yeah. things. I imagine that a group like Recovering from Religion can be transformative. When mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, when they leave a faith tradition behind, they go through this sudden vacuum of community. They have no one to talk to anymore in a lot of cases. And having a support group like that that can, can connect you to other organizations and groups and friends can make a huge difference. So... I want to go back a little bit. Um, you've used the phrase leaving Christianity. What does that mean for you? What did that mean in practical terms? Yeah, um, that was a huge uh, uh, transition for me. That's what made me go uh, back into counseling, back to see a therapist um, to kind of work through some of that transition. So pretty much I just, when I started having doubts, um, was due to the whole 
topic of slavery in the Bible. And, you know, the way I had learned about it, the way I had, I had always thought about it was, you know, oh, it's it wasn't actually slavery. It was indentured servitude. They were like an employee worked, had to work oh so many years and then they were released from their from their debt. Um, well, that's one type of slavery in the Bible, but there is another type, um, the one not meant for the Israelites or the Hebrews, um, and that <laughs> type of slavery is more similar to what we saw in American history. Um, where you can get slaves from the different nations around you. You can pass them on to your children as inheritance. Um, They were considered your property. They weren't, um, you know, they weren't their own person. And so my whole, um, when I started learning about that, my whole thing was... I've always been told we're all God's children. He loves all of us, right? And um, he cares about every single one of us and wants a relationship with every single one of us. So I started thinking, well, if that's true, how could he ever tell some of his children to treat the others as property and allow them to beat them and do all these things? And it just wasn't adding up for me. And so that's when I started um, trying to dive deep into uh, the Bible and Christianity and learning more and started learning more about how the Bible was actually put together and how different books of the Bible ended up uh, being put in and some left out and all of that and just ended up coming to the conclusion that there is no way that this is the perfect infallible inspired word of god right um and so when that kind of when that built-in block foundation crumbled apart uh so did everything else Uh at that point so it was kind of like you know, I don't believe the Bible is the word of God, so where does that leave me? What do I believe? Um, and eventually, a uh, couple months later, you know, after still trying to do some more research and read different books and things, I came to realize, you know what, I don't believe a God exists at all. So. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much um, consider myself an atheist at that point. And that has been interesting coming from a family that is still very religious. So did you grow up in Christianity? Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when you started to research and question things, did you have people that you could talk to about it who would listen um kind of I tried so when I first started having doubts and 
couldn't add up, you know, why God would, you know, allow this to happen in the Bible. I had tried to reach out to some church leaders mm-hmm. and I talked to someone who, you know, had studied theology and the history and everything uh, with the Bible and asked all my questions and stuff. And um, I did that, but, you know, it, it always comes down to the answer of, you know, it's just personal faith, right? And she was sharing with me that, you know, she's had her doubts before and, um, you know, she's wondered the same, some of the same things I've um, been wondering and asking questions about. Um, But, you know, due to certain things that happened in her life, she has to believe that there is a God. you know, that's looking out for her. And so, now that's great, but it's one person's experience right. where so many people have completely different or even horrible experiences. And so, I was just like, I, I can't really put faith or belief in something just based on someone's experience. Um, and even my experience either because, you know, just because something happens that we don't necessarily understand doesn't mean we can attribute it to a god or a deity. It sounds like it wasn't filling the needs you had in life yeah and then after you left on the flip side it sounds like you were able to really self-actualize in a lot of important ways with publishing and coming to terms with your own queer identity was that something you had thought about and not had room for or was that just part of an one continual process of reevaluating things in your life yeah, with that, it was, there were always signs that I just kind of ignored and played off or tried to justify, like, it's normal that girls find girls hot. Like, <laughs> girls are hot. It's like, <laughs> that, that's a normal thing, right? Like, everyone thinks that. And just kind of, like finding excuses and justifications for why, you know, but I like guys too, so can't be gay, no. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, you know, pretty much uh, suppressed that side and just focused on the straight hetero (laughs) side of it. Did you have any role models of, like, queer people in your life at the time? No, not, um, no one in my personal life that I knew. At least not no one that, um, is out or anything. Because I remember when my, um, 
when I first came out to my mom, uh, she she was very surprised and shocked, mm. and she kind of made this comment of like, uh, "No one else in the family is queer. I'm the only one." And I'm like, "I'm pretty sure, with our family being as big as it is, you're one of eight. You have seven brothers and sisters. <laughs> they all have kids. I'm sure someone." is queer even if they don't they don't say it yeah. she's like no there's no one so so yeah i haven't had any uh anyone in my personal life as a influencer role model it's mainly been um from what i've seen in books and movies and shows which is why i think representation is so important yeah um, well, it makes it really hard if you can't see anyone like yourself. Right. And people are maybe sending signals that not okay to have these feelings. Right. You're going to do whatever you can to suppress them or hide them. Yeah. I'm curious, um, have you been in Arizona um, your whole life? No, most of my life. Um, okay. We moved to Arizona when I was in seventh grade. Okay. So I've been here since seventh grade. Um, and before that, we lived in New York and in Florida for a bit as well. Okay. And, you know, moving between different school systems, did you feel like, um, I mean, I think Arizona schools and Arizona as a culture sometimes doesn't have room for people to talk about being queer. I don't know if that's an experience you had, but it seems like it was, that you didn't have other queer people around you. What was your experience back then? Back then in school and everything, I I don't think I really had that experience of, you know, knowing many people who are queer. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember in high school, my choir uh, teacher um, was a gay man, and I think that was one of the first times where I, I think I realized I knew someone or or had these interactions with someone um, on a weekly basis that that is queer. Um, That's a big deal. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, looking back now, I'm sure there had to be students I knew that are queer, but it didn't, um, it's not something that was out or you know not something anyone really talked about yeah um it sounds like this teacher was a like a positive figure for you yeah and i think you know the more i saw um queer people like with my teacher but and then also 
with books and movies and stuff, like Mm -hmm. I said. The more I started seeing that, the more I had this internal struggle, um, which I guess is why I kind of try to push down and ignore some of the signs. Um, Because I remember, uh, okay, so I'll give you a perfect example of this. Uh, When I was in college, um, I think sophomore year or something in college, I had tried to start a book club with some friends, right? And um, most of these were, most of my friends were girls I knew from the church I was attending at the time. And so um, we started a book club, and the first book that we picked, um, me not knowing (laughs) the, the subjects in this book, but we picked Aristotle and Dante discovered the secrets of the universe. Oh yeah, which I love that book. I absolutely love it. But as I was reading it and seeing, um, you know, this queer character and what he was going through, and then finishing the book, I remember having this like a little bit of a nervous panic moment where I was like what are the other girls gonna think like is this gonna be okay or what are they gonna say about this book um because of the the content I was worried um how they might react which um you know didn't have much to worry about because uh, they all loved the book, uh, like I did. And actually, one of my friends that was in the club with me at that time, we're still friends today. And when I came out um, to her, she actually told me she was bisexual as oh, well. Oh, wow. And so I was like, oh, cool. But yeah, it's it was something that I was just worried about what the reaction was because of, you know, all the churches I grew up going to, it was always a sin to be gay. And then later on, some of the churches I've been to were more like, you know, it's a lifestyle. So even if you have same-sex attraction, you uh, shouldn't act on it and, you know, basically live a life of celibacy. I've heard that. I've heard that message too. Yeah. And so just getting all those types of messages the whole time growing up um, made me worried about um, what would happen. But there was also that part of me inside that was like, but why? Why is it so wrong? And I remember thinking, you know what, this is one of the things I need to ask God when I get to heaven. Like, (laughs) why can't people just love each other if, why does it matter if they're the same sex, if they're both consenting? Why can't they be in a relationship? Especially because as I started reading more and more queer books, um, I was like, this couple's so cute. I shouldn't 
root for them. I know it's wrong to root for them to be together, but they're so dang cute. <laughs> like, how do you not? Yeah, I like that feeling of just like, but this is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Why should I feel bad about it? Or why should I judge yeah. it? Yeah. So you mentioned college. Did you go to college here in... Um, well, did you go to yeah. ASU? Or? Yes, okay. I went to ASU um, from 2008 to... I graduated 2011. So right after the financial crisis. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. was that, and, and what did you study? Uh, I actually studied psychology. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, um, which is why, I, you know, right after that, I went into my master's for counseling. Okay. Um, and then I did counseling for a bit, substance abuse. So that was um, actually a really long period in your life then, uh, studying psychology, doing your master's degree, going into counseling. Mm-hmm. Had that been a long-term goal? Yes, Um I always knew I I loved psychology um, from when I was younger uh, as a kid. I actually had a friend in middle school who described me as like the female Dr. Phil, which... <laughs> Knowing more about Dr. Phil now, I'm less just of a kind of, compliment. Less of a compliment, but um, it uh, it was uh, that friend that actually got me thinking about psychology and wondering, mm-hmm. like, hmm, this could be fun to to go into and learn about. And I took a intro to psych class in high school, and oh, cool. I absolutely loved it. And I was like, yes, I want to do this. Um, and so I knew going into college in Teizu, I wanted to study psychology um, and go into counseling. I uh, did not know that it would only be a few years before I wanted to completely <laughs> change trajectory. But um, apparently, you know, my therapist told me, Yeah, folks with ADHD tend to make career changes and moves about every five years or so. And I'm like, it was about five years after I decided to leave. I think that can be a really positive way to approach a career, though, moving between different things. You get to experience a lot and learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Substance abuse counseling, I feel like, is a really specific thing to pursue. Was there something about that that drew you to the work? Not really. Interesting enough, um, I wanted to go into counseling because I wanted to work with kids who have been abused. Mm. And I never really thought about substance counseling. But when it came time for me to do my internship, the only places I could find were the ones for substance abuse treatment. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll, I'll do that. Um, and ended up doing my internship at Salvation Army and ended up really liking it. And so just continued on after that. Was that something you still have 
a connection to um, now, now that you've moved on professionally? Yeah, it is something that um, I'm still passionate about and think about um, mm-hmm. from time to time. One thing that I've wanted to do uh, in the past, and I still would like to do this sometime in the future, if I get a chance, it's just, again, bouncing back and forth depending on my interests at the moment. Yeah. But um, I did want to have like a sober living house, uh, kind of okay. start a sober living house just to help those that are maybe have gone through treatment and are coming out but they don't have many resources, don't know where to go next, don't know what to do, kind of um, have a place where they can go and like figure out those next steps and help them learn to uh, build new skills and how to uh, find the resources they need and kind of do all that. Yeah, I'm sure people would really benefit from that. Yeah. I think before we wrap up, I wanted to ask a little bit about your writing because I don't think we got to talk too much about like the actual stories and how all of that goes. You mentioned that you've always been interested and you've always loved writing. What were some of the stories when you were a kid that got you excited about writing? Um, you know what? Interesting enough, as a kid... It was the stories that I didn't see that got me into writing. Because I actually hated reading when I was a kid. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't like reading until, uh, like, sophomore year, or actually junior year of high school, um, when, uh, you know, we had an English teacher that, like, would have us read, but... We weren't forced to read any certain books. You can pick whatever. And so that's when I realized, oh, books are actually great. It's just teachers pick the sucky books. I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so I never liked reading as a kid. Um, But I liked writing because I wanted to. I like creating different worlds and, like, I wanted to go on these adventures and, you know, see the stories I didn't really get to see. Oh, um, I love that. As like a kid. story writing as searching for something. Yeah. Is that still how you approach writing today? And, and what kind of stories do you write now? A little bit. It's... Uh, so the stories I write now have kind of been a little bit of what um, what my favorite stories are that I've read um, since finally enjoying reading. Yeah. And then um, also what I still would like to see. And so, um, you know, I think... Uh, in high school and college when I got back into uh, when I was writing again and I started reading more 
um, and got into the Twilight books, which now it's like, hmm, how did I like these? But <laughs> I was obsessed with the books at one point. Yeah. And, um, and I always wanted to, I was like, I want a Twilight meets Harry Potter mashup. I that want, is very fun, yeah. I want witches and wizards, and I want vampires, and I want the whole world together. Yeah. Um, and so that was a story that I started working on um, at that time. Nice. And never continued, put it on the back burner for a while, mm-hmm. but actually since came back to it, and I'm currently working on it now, which it's... Um, it's morphed and become completely different from what it started <laughs> off as. But it, and the world has gotten bigger. So there's all types of supernatural creatures. Nice. And this one, we've got demons and vampires and witches and ghosts and the whole supernatural gambit. <laughs> so. so if people are interested in reading your work, is there a place they can go to find it? Yeah, um, yes and no, sort of. Okay. Uh, so currently I don't have my, any of my fiction books published. Okay. Um, I have one nonfiction book published right now um, about representation, disability representation specifically. Oh, cool. but, can you tell me a little bit? I know I'm interrupting you, <laughs> but can you tell me a little bit about that book? Yeah, it's... Um, it's called a writer's guide to creating diverse characters disability and um it's all about you know some stereotypes to watch out for don't fall into Mm -hmm. and um you know what what i think writers should know and consider when writing a disabled character and then um, there's some resources in that book for um, other places to look if they want to do more research. Oh, that's great. That's mm-hmm. great. I think that's something a lot of writers don't actually know where to start with, right? right. Or they make mistakes because they are sometimes just too afraid to try to do their research, right? Yeah. Or they yeah. just leave stories out. That's true. That's true. Um, and, you know, I kind of wanted to avoid having, uh, try to help writers avoid certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I give different examples in the book, but specifically the, uh, show Arrow, if you've seen that show. That's the um, DC Comics show? Yes. Yeah. So in that show, um, one of the characters has something happen to her in a later season. And the way the writers handled that situation, I just thought was not great at all. That's unfortunate. So it became an example in my book of what not to do. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I share in that book. I do... Um, plan on making more books like that. So A Writer's Guide to Writing Diverse Characters is uh, kind of the series name. 
Oh, that's great. So the first one is disability, and then um, still figuring out <laughs> which one. To, I I'm thinking I'm going to do uh, one on atheist next. Oh, cool. Because uh, there's a lot of misconception and stereotypes that I see. Yeah, I think that's true. Regarding that, so. So if people are interested in finding that book or some of your other work, where can they go? That one is on Amazon. Okay. And um, it's on other uh, other retailers as well. Um, it's only in ebook format right now. Um, eventually when I get more in the series, I think I'll do a bind up and have a print version. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, but right now it's just an ebook, which you can get Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Google play, all, all those places. Um, or if you have a Scribd subscription, it's on Scribd as well. Oh, okay, cool. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Yeah. And then, um... For my fiction books, those are not out yet, but I do have, uh, if you go on my website and sign up for my uh, newsletter, you'll get the um, access code for my for the members-only section of my website. Oh, cool. And the members-only section um, has a section for readers to read sneak peeks and short stories and different things and oh that's that. really fun yeah okay, i'll make sure to put a link to that yeah um well thanks so much for being on the podcast today i know we're pretty much out of time but i, I really appreciate you coming down here today and, and talking with me yeah thank you for having me on absolutely thanks again to vanessa for joining me on this week's episode of the arizona equals conversation and thanks to all of you for listening to the show if you'd like to catch up on past episodes of the show, just visit equalityarizona.org stories, where you can find the full archive. While you're there, you can also sign up to be a guest on a future episode of the podcast. I'd love to talk with you. As an important reminder before we close, October 11th is the last day to register if you want to vote in the midterm elections. If you need to update your voter registration, or if you have family and friends who aren't registered to vote, just use the short URL eqaz.vote. And thanks again for listening to the Arizona Equals Conversation.